You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord. You were Lord at your birth. You were Lord from uh, before the beginning of time, before creation, and you will be Lord all on into eternity. And we come to you, Lord. We come to you by your Spirit for the glory of your Father and declare that you are in charge and we invite you to rule and to reign. And Lord, we pray that you would speak with your voice, Lord, that you would declare to us a a royal uh, decree, that you would speak with power and with authority from your living and active word, and that we, your people, that we, your children, that we, your sons and daughters, would hear and respond and believe and be transformed. So God, we pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, This morning we're going to do something quite dangerous. We're going to do something dangerous because we're going to uh, read probably the most famous of all Bible stories. We're going to read the story of David and Goliath. And our ushers are coming up in the aisle right now with Bibles. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, they'll put one into your hands uh, for you. Just raise up your hand um, as, they, as they pass you by. It's dangerous to study David and Goliath because everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. I mean, even if today was your first day, you've never ever been to church in your whole life, you've never read a single verse in the Bible ever once, you know the story of Goliath, don't you? Everybody knows the story of Goliath. We use it when we talk, you know, in terms of, of economics, when we talk about, you know, one company in a capitalistic setting going head-to-head in the marketplace against another company. We talk about it in the realm of sports, one team or one competitor going up against another. We, 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 we talk about it in every realm of life. Oh, this is a David and Goliath situation. And the reason why it's dangerous is because one of the most dangerous places we can ever find ourselves in is to be in a position where we think, oh, I already know this. That's one of the scariest places for any of us to be, to come to a a story, to come to a passage of Scripture, to come to an idea, to come to a theme or a subject and say, I already know everything. I I know how this ends. I know how this goes. I know know, there's a little guy, he's a shepherd, and there's a big, tall warrior, and he hits him with a stone, and it's over. And so I, I, I want to, I'm speaking to myself here as well, I want us to be very careful and very cautious that we don't come to this text this morning just thinking, oh, we, you know, we already know this. Because that, that leaves us in a very dangerous place, thinking that we don't need to learn or that God's word has spoken and will not continue to speak. And this book is living and active. And God wants to, intends to speak through his word to each and every heart today, including mine. Before we jump into chapter 17, let's wrap up chapter 16. Um, Last week we studied how David was anointed um, by Samuel, and this is what happened at, at chapter 16, verse 13. It says, 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So when, when David received the oil, he also received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit rushed upon him. It infused and flowed through his life. But we're also told in the next verse, verse 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And so the Spirit came upon David, but it departed from Saul. It goes on to say that a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so here we see a, a transition between King Saul to King David, the Spirit leaving Saul and filling David. But what's troubling about verse 14 is this idea that a harmful spirit from the Lord, an evil spirit from the Lord, came upon Saul. How, how could that be from the Lord? Well, listen, God is sovereign over all things. God is also good and can do no evil. But in God's sovereign plan, at times, God allows evil to take place in the lives of an individual or in a nation in order to accomplish his purposes. In the same way that the evil empires, like the Assyrian Empire, sorry to our Assyrians who are here with us right now, or the Babylonian Empire... Those were evil, those were evil kings, those were evil rulers, the soldiers did horrible things, but God allowed it to happen. He used that evil to bring about judgment on the people of God, didn't he? So God did it in the physical, political, military realm, he also does it in the spiritual realm. He allowed this harmful spirit to torment Saul, why? As an act of judgment, because long before God rejected Saul as king, Saul had rejected God as king. And as, a, as an act of judgment, this harmful spirit comes upon Saul. The rest of chapter 16 concludes with a, a Saul being tormented by the spirit and then David coming along and playing his harp. And even, even in the midst of God judging Saul, he's still merciful to him. Because David, who's filled with the spirit, it says the Lord was with him. Whenever he played, that spirit would stop tormenting him. So God is still kind to Saul, even in the midst of judgment. But today what we're going to see as we jump into chapter 17 and we're looking at this, this familiar story of David and Goliath, we're going to understand that this story points to a reality that is far bigger than this, just this moment in history. And this story points to a bigger reality that is, that is bigger and more significant than you and whatever giant problems you may be facing. That all throughout the Bible we see this time and time again that the God of the universe chooses to show his strength by winning through weakness. He chooses to show his strength by winning through weakness. So there's a huge a battle that's, that's, that's a, 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 about to rage in chapter 17. The Philistines have uh, invaded uh, the people of Israel. They're camped on one mountain and then separated by a valley are the, the armies of Israel. They're encamped on another mountain. And in verse 4... Of chapter 17, it says, There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. God wants to show his strength by winning through weakness, and he's going to win in this story against what seems like, drop this down, an unbeatable enemy. We are introduced to an unbeatable enemy. And 
Goliath here is described as being of six cubits and a span. It's sometimes difficult to, to cross-reference um, um, measurement from the ancient world to our contemporary world, but the best guess is that Goliath was somewhere around nine feet tall and, and about nine inches thereabout. I just want to ask Peter King, can you stand over, over here by this basketball net over here? Peter's one of the taller guys in our church, and he's a, one of our missionaries serving the Lord at Pearson Airport. So, so there's Peter standing underneath that basketball net. Now, if Goliath were standing underneath that basketball net, his head would be touching the mesh dangling down from that rim. And so that, that's, that's the height difference. So, it, so th- thanks a lot, Peter. I'm so glad for you to, to do that demonstration. This is how, this is the kind of, per- this is an, where would you start if you had to engage in hand-to-hand combat with someone of that size? Verse 5 says he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went out before him. So all this description, not only is he massive, but he has all of this armor. Again, to, to try to, to take the measurements that are listed there and have an equivalent, he, he would weigh, his armor weighed somewhere around 125 to 150 pounds. This guy's armor weighed more than probably some of the soldiers fighting in Israel's armor. He seemed an army. He seems like an unbeatable enemy. And then he talks in verse 18. It says he stood, sorry, verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. That word defy, that's the, that's the key word in this story. That's what really triggers in David's heart and mind, this idea of defiance. And it's mentioned six or seven times in this, in this passage. It's the idea of I insult, I reveal, I blaspheme, I trample underfoot the name of the people of God. He says, give me a man that we may fight together. So what he's asking for is for a one-on-one contest. One person representing the Philistines, one people representing the Israelites, and they are going to fight one another one-on-one in a winner-take-all battle. A battle against an unbeatable enemy. Look at verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why are the people greatly afraid? Because their king is greatly afraid. They're following their leader. It says Saul and the people were dismayed and greatly afraid. We're shown here again Saul's failure. The kind of king that the people wanted failed to deliver on what they thought they could get from having a king. Remember when they asked for a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel was warning them, saying, no, you don't need a king. But they say, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. How's that working out? 
Saul's not fighting their battles for them. He's just as scared as they are. Furthermore, so Goliath is their tallest soldier. So it would only make sense if, if the Philistines are sending out their tallest guy, that the people of Israel should also send out their tallest guy. Who's the tallest guy in Israel's army? Well, remember 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul. Saul is the guy that should be fighting this battle. His role as the king determines that, and then his very stature requires that. And yet Saul was afraid, and he refused to fight. You see, the people of Israel wanted a king like the nations. They wanted to do things the way the world does things. And we need to understand that the world only has answers to certain questions. And we're thankful for those answers. We're thankful for people, whether they're believers or not, and the contributions that they make in the realm of medicine or science or politics or economics. We're, we're thankful for all of those things, but we need to understand that there are some enemies that cannot be defeated simply by worldly means. I mean, as we think about the ways of the world, I mean, we're so grateful for science and medicine, aren't we? And we're so grateful for the way that they help prolong people's lives. But there's a huge difference between helping someone prolong their life and helping them understand the meaning of their life. You, you can help them live longer, but can you help explain why they ought to live in the first place and why they are here? Can, can science and medicine help prepare people for the life that is after this life? There's a limit to what the ways of this world can do. Education is so great. We're so thankful that, that, that we live in a, a literate society, a society that values literacy, that we're able to, to read our Bibles and to read literature and all of those sort of things. But there's a huge difference between informing someone's mind and transforming their hearts. And so there's a limit to what the ways of the world can do. Politics is so, we're so grateful to live in a free society. There's a lot that we could be complaining about, but we can be thankful that, that we live in a democracy and the freedoms and the rights that we enjoy. But even though political means can set people free from certain oppressors, but how can we be set free from our sin that entraps us and enslaves us? Politics has a limit. Economics Someone can, an, an economist or a, a shrewd politician can, can steer the economy in such a way to help, us, help make us more prosperous, but even though we're more wealthy, are we actually more happy? You see, there are some enemies, there are some questions, there are some battles that if we try to do things according to the ways of the world, we need to understand that there's a limitation there. And the people of Israel wanted a king. They thought a king would solve all their problems, but here's a problem in Goliath that they simply can't solve. And that's true on a macro society level, but it's also true on a personal level as well. You see, we tend to trust in certain things, and we place our hope in maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's someone we're in a relationship with, or, or a, a leader, but that leader is limited. That person will eventually let us down. Maybe we get our eyes on our possessions, and we think, if I could just have more money in my bank account, or if I could just have that status symbol, but then those possessions over time lose value, don't they? Maybe, we're, maybe we pursue some sort of pleasure. And, and we think that if I could just feel good, if I could just experience this, this euphoria, whatever, whatever, whether it be from a substance or, or from sexuality or whatever it may be, but then over time that pleasure begins to fade and to wane. 
These are not lasting, they don't deal with the ultimate deep battles, the deep questions of our lives. Saul couldn't deliver. Our idols can't deliver. So we're introduced to this unbeatable enemy. Verse 12 begins with the phrase, now David. Now we're introduced to an unlikely hero. So we're, we're introduced to David, he's the unbeatable enemy. I'm sorry, Goliath, he's the unbeatable enemy. And now we're introduced to David, who's the unlikely hero. Verses 12 to 13 sort of describe David's family dynamic and uh, his brothers and his father, all of that. Verse 14 says David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. So his three older brothers were soldiers in the army. Verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Soon one day David would be, uh, would be king and he would be bossing people around. But right now he's just the anointed king. He's not reigning as king. And so other people are bossing him around. He's going back and forth from Saul. If Saul wants him to come and play harp to help him because he's being tormented or Saul wants this or, or that or uh, Jesse wants him to go and look after the sheep. So David's just going back and forth. He's just communing. He's living out of the suitcase. He's going from one place to the other trying to, um, trying to help Saul, trying to help his father. Verse 16 says, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So this, this went on for over a month. Two times a day, Goliath would go out and, and lay out this challenge. Verse 17, and Jesse told David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. And so uh, David arrives at this um, at the battlefront, and he's there to deliver food to his brothers and to find out how they're doing. Verse 19 says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, And Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. So David is listening to the, the, the soldiers of the army of Israel. They're shouting their war cry. They're huddling up in their circle. They're singing their songs. They're, they're shouting. They're getting pumped up. They're getting prepared for battle. Verse 21, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. And behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. See, David hears the war cry. He hears the cheering and the shouting. He hears the soldiers getting ready for battle. But as he's approaching the ranks, he notices that the, that the singing stops and the cheering goes silent and it starts to fade away. And he hears a distant voice down in the valley. It's the voice of Goliath. And Goliath giving out this challenge. And he sees how the soldiers who are now, are now silent. Verse 24 Verse 24 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up, here's that word again, to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. That means he wouldn't have to pay taxes. 
Verse 26, and David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, so it shall be done to the man who kills him. David is the unlikely hero. It's the guy, the guy who ends up delivering the nation is the one who, the only reason he was there was to deliver lunch. He wasn't even a soldier, and he ends up winning the decisive battle. And notice how David is viewing things theologically. He recognizes that that Goliath is defying, in verse 26, he's defying the armies of the living God. See, i got, I got to be honest with you, if I, if I can, just as your pastor, because I, I hope you don't think that I'm a, anything different from any of you. I, I, I live in everyday life just like everyone else. And sometimes I don't think theologically, like the way David's thinking right now. Sometimes I, I get really discouraged or feel really defeated in my life because I'm, I'm looking at something and it just doesn't add up. And what I found in my life is that when I'm looking at things and they don't add up, it's because I haven't actually included God in the equation. And that's exactly what was wrong with Saul and the people of Israel. They were thinking about fighting Goliath in human terms. God wasn't in the equation. David's the first one to mention God. He's defied the armies of the living God. God is not just some concept. God is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings. God is real. He's alive. And this territory that the Philistines have chosen to invade, this isn't just some random country. It's the promised land. And the nation that they have invaded is not just any other nation. It's the chosen people of God. And so David says, this guy's defying the armies of the living God. He's invaded the promised land. He's speaking against the chosen people of God. He's like, God won't stand for this. God will step in and do something. Goliath can't win. See, David is viewing things theologically. He's read his Bible. He knows who that land belongs to. He knows who the people of God are. And he says, this can't last. This can't work. Goliath is going down. So he's viewing things from a theological perspective. And so David is determined that he's going to face This unbeatable enemy, he's going to face this massive opponent. But the amazing thing about this story is before he faces the opponent of Goliath, he has two other opponents cross his path. And this unlikely hero also has some unlikely opponents. The first one is his older brother, Eliab. Eliab says, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to these men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So Eliab is angry. Isn't this so sad that this, this opposition is coming from within the people of God? The people of God have a very clear enemy. It's Goliath. And then here's Eliab starting something, starting an internal confrontation with his little brother, David. 
And Eliab is just wrong on every front. He begins by asking, you know, who have you left all the sheep with? Well, it said earlier, he left it with the keeper. The, the sheep are, are looked after. And he says, well, I, I know the intention of your heart. And David's like, I just brought lunch. But here's, here's the turning point. David says, just like a little brother, verse 29, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And then in verse 30 it says, And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. David turned away. You see, Eliab got it all wrong. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16 it says that God sees not as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance. Only God sees the heart. Eliab here is claiming to see the heart. He's claiming to say, I know what you're really about, David. I know who you really are. I know the motives behind what you're doing. That's such a dangerous, dangerous place to be. To think that you somehow, like God, know what's happening in someone's heart. But verse 30 is a real, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real turning point, the fact that he turned away. Because if David tried to defend himself against Eliab, maybe he never would have ended up fighting Goliath. If there was this big, long argument about David trying to prove his motives, trying to show him his heart. No, David just entrusted that to the Lord. I'm not going to try to explain myself to you, Eliab. I know what my motives is, that even if my motives are wrong, God will deal with me, Eliab. You don't have to deal with me. And so we don't always have to feel like we need to. Sometimes we feel this sense of injustice if someone accuses us of something. And we can try to clarify and to explain, but it's not up to us. And so David just turns around and starts to talk to someone else. And then that person brings them before Saul. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So he gets opposition from Eliab, his family, then he gets opposition from his political authority, from his king, from Saul. He says, you're a youth, and Goliath has been fighting since he was a youth. He's, in the, he's been fighting since before you were born. You were knee-high to a grasshopper, and this guy was throwing spears. He says, you have no choice against him, but God shows his strength by choosing to win through weakness, and Saul did not see that. So David says to Saul in verse 34, your servant used to keep a sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear... And, 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 and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied, there's that word again, defied the armies of the living God And David said, verse 37, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And David had looked back to previous moments, previous moments against fighting a bear and fighting a lion, and he saw how God provided for him and how God delivered him and rescued him. He looked back at the past, viewed the past through a theological lens, and then based on what he saw God do in the past, he had courage about what he was facing in the present and in the future. Loved ones, we're coming to the end of 2017. 
And it's a time for us to reflect on this past year and to view this past year and to view all the years before it with a theological lens. Maybe things haven't been easy, but God has been faithful. And to look back at what he has done in us and through us and for us. And then based on looking back to be able to look forward what faces us in the present. What are we anxious about in the future? That's exactly what David does right there. He looks back and that gives him faith to look forward. So David's family tried to discourage him with a voice of criticism. That's Eliab, I know your heart. And then the voice of unbelief, that comes from his political authority, from uh, Saul, the voice, of, the voice of unbelief that this can't happen. And he had to overcome both of these opponents before he was actually able to face the giant opponent in Goliath. Verse 38, he says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. This is what he's got with him. He's got a stick, he's got some stones, he's got a sling, but that's not all he's got. He's got the Lord. You see, David goes into this battle. See, the battle seems so unfair, right? We think it's so unfair. From, from our perspective, we're like, it's so unfair. Here's Goliath and, and, and David. It's so unfair. But David, again, he's viewing things theologically. It's not that Goliath... And, and makes it unfair because he's fighting David. David's viewing it as that God makes it unfair for Goliath. That the tables are actually turned. It's not David versus Goliath and Goliath is sure to win. It's Goliath versus God and God is sure to win. Verse 41, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because he didn't have a sword, he just had, a, he had his shepherd's staff with him. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And then the Philistine started mocking David. He said, hey, do you hear those birds? Do you hear those sweet little birds chirping in the tree right now, little David? Hey, little boy. Hey, little boy. Do you hear the birds? Do you hear those birds in the trees, little boy? He says, then, then the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin. He said, this is what you're coming with. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have, there's that word again, defied. You have insulted, you have blasphemed, you have trampled underfoot the name of the people of God, therefore the name of the living God. And he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God 
in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You see, we're, we're often so quick to make our own application to what, what, what is the purpose of the David and Goliath story. Is it supposed to teach us that sometimes the underdog wins? Is it supposed to teach us that if we have enough faith, we can do anything? David tells us, as he's walking into the battle, as he's approaching the Philistine, he he declares to him, this is what all of this means. This battle, there is a purpose in this battle. Did you see what he said? He said it in verse 46. He says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That is the point of the story of David and Goliath, is to prove that there is a God, that he is alive, that he is real, and that he doesn't fight with swords or with spears, but the battle belongs to him. And so David In verse 43, it says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, it says, David ran quickly. Everyone's running away. David ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. And what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is this. We're going to see an undeniable victory. An unbeatable enemy. An unexpected hero. Or an unlikely hero. And an undeniable victory. Verse 49, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. The Lord does not save with sword or with spear. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. This is an undeniable victory. Goliath's head is cut off. He's, he's not coming back. He's not going to climb back up and keep fighting. It's undeniable. It's over. Goliath is dead. This incredible victory. It's undeniable. And the Philistines flee, and then the people of Israel in verse uh, uh, 53, uh, uh, verse 52, it says, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. So then, uh, from that, uh, because David made that one incredible act of valor and courage, all of the people uh, pursued the rest of the army. So how do we apply the story of David and Goliath? David told us, within the story, we're told the meaning. The story exists to tell us that there is a God, a God in Israel, a God who is real. That's why the story was recorded. That's why that event happened. David gave theological meaning to the historical event within the historical event. So if that's the purpose, it's really not just right for us to, you know, replace Goliath and insert our problem and say, well, that's like my giant that I'm facing. We need, we need to take a look at, at the story and think, well, what is the story actually pointing to? What is it about? Can we draw a direct line between David's experience and our experience? 
Well, the first thing we need to understand is, is how we so often read narratives and how we so often think about ourselves in relationship to the protagonist or the main character in the story. I grew up watching Star Wars. I was always Luke Skywalker. Every kid that loves Star Wars is always Luke Skywalker. No one's a random musician in the tavern in Tantooine. No one wants to be that guy. No one wants to be one of the other, you know, X-wing fighters or the guy at the meeting table who says we'll never be able to destroy the Death Star. No one ever says, yeah, that's me. That's me right there. We're always Luke Skywalker. We automatically assume whenever we hear a story, we identify ourselves with the hero, don't we? So why do we automatically assume that in this story, we're David? Where does that come from? Does that come from the Bible or does that just come from us in the way that we read stories? I, I would say it's, it's the latter. It's not the former. It comes from, it comes from us. You see, in order to truly understand what's happening here and, and in, in understanding the story of David and Goliath in the view of the greater story of what God is doing, we can't just simply take David's experience and then draw a straight line to our experience. Because David and what, he, what happened with him was not simply pointing to us so that we would, you know, handle things better when we find a financial crisis or, or difficulty in our relationships or struggling with our health. That's not why this story is in the Bible. This incredible victory is pointing to an even greater victory. So as we follow through the pattern, we've got an unbeatable enemy, an unlikely hero, an undeniable victory. The enemy is Goliath, the hero is David, and the undeniable victory happened with a stone. But we, when we think about it, chances are we're not David. There's only one David, and only one person can be David. That means the rest of us have to find ourselves somewhere else in the story. And chances are, when there's an unbeatable enemy, most of us are like the people of Israel and Saul who are really afraid. And who are standing on the sidelines hoping that someone does something. And unfortunately, some of us are not even just sort of like the people passively on the side. Some of us are like Eliab and want to accuse and attack. You see, this story points to a bigger story because there's a bigger enemy than Goliath. So rather than just Goliath, David, and a stone, when we think about an unbeatable enemy, we think about the enemy of death, the unlikely hero being Jesus, and the undeniable victory still happening with the stone. You see, the unbeatable enemy is death. Science can't solve the issue of death. It, it, uh, science can prolong our life, it certainly can, but it it can't stop us from dying. All human beings die. Economics can have us accumulate more things, but we can't take them with us. The ways of this world cannot solve that ultimate problem of death. Because that ultimate problem of death actually is not just something outside of us, but it's something inside of us. The Bible tells us that we all die because we all sin. God is the author of life. We've turned away from the author of life. The, the result then is death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And then the unlikely hero is Jesus. 
Just like no one was expecting uh, David to, to save the day. No one expected that this baby born in a stable laid on hay. No, no, one thought that, no one thought when he was suffering and dying on the cross thinking that that must be the hero right now. No, but God chooses to win through weakness to show his strength. And the undeniable victory came in a stone. It didn't come with a small stone being flung through the air from a swing. No, it came from a massive stone that was laid in front of a tomb. And a stone that rolled away when Christ, the unlikely hero, rose to newness of life, conquering that unbeatable enemy, the enemy of death. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so, loved ones, before we connect this story that happened to David to our stories and our struggles, we need to make sure that we draw a line from what happened with David to what Jesus accomplished. David's victory over Goliath ultimately points to Christ's victory over death, and that's a far bigger victory. And it's only when we look back to that victory that we'll have courage to face whatever giants we may face in our lives. And so let's bow our heads uh, together as we think about what this means uh, for our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, I know that in a room this size, there are all kinds of people right now who are struggling against an enemy that seems unbeatable. Lord, whether it be in their health, whether it be in their uh, finances, whether it be a, a relationship that's falling apart, whether it be a, a family situation that is uh, broken and breaking, God, I pray that that you would strengthen and encourage your people right now. That you are a God who slays giants. And that if we're feeling weak right now, that that actually provides the perfect setting for you to display your power. And God, I pray that the story of David and Goliath would point us right to the story of the cross and the death and the resurrection of our Savior. And God, I pray that we would get our eyes completely on you. And that as we look back at what Christ has done for us, that the ultimate battle, the ultimate enemy, has resulted in victory for your son and for us as people. I pray that we would have courage and strength to fight whatever battles we have in front of us. So help us, Lord. Draw us close to you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.